Susan Moran. And I'm Kara Fox, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Coming up, we'll discuss the health impacts of air pollution on babies and vulnerable populations with researchers Dr. Tanya Alderetti and Zach Morgan, as well as with journalist Kara Fox. Good morning. So I'd first like to introduce my fellow host and producer, Kara Fox, as she's a new contributor to How on Earth. Kara is a digital news producer at CNN International, and she covers geopolitics, corruption, climate, and women. But this academic year, she's at CU Boulder on a Ted Scripps Environmental Fellowship in Environmental Journalism. She's studying, among other things, climate change and its disproportionate impacts on women. Kara, thanks so much for joining the team. So great to have you. Great to be here. You're listening to KGNU Science Show. I'm Susan Moran. And I'm Kara Fox. Being exposed to wildfires and other forms of air pollution can wreak havoc on anyone's health, as many studies have shown. However, if you're pregnant, your body and your baby are particularly susceptible to the negative effects of pollution. And pregnant people from socioeconomic and disadvantaged backgrounds are hit the hardest. Our two guests today have been researching how exposure to air pollution, as well as other environmental toxins, can harm the health of pregnant women and their babies. Both of, us, both of them have joined us via Zoom. Dr. Tanya Alderetti is an assistant professor of integrated physiology at CU Boulder. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And Zach Morgan earned his master's degree in integrative physiology at CU Boulder last May, and he's now an EMT and is in the process of applying to medical school. He is the lead author on a 2023 study on how air pollution had affected brain development in ele- de- brain development in infants. Zach, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Uh, so, Zach, uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the study here? Let's start with you. Since you were the lead author um, uh, on the important study that Tanya co-authored, I think that understanding the study will help provide context for later talking about some current and recent research. What were the key findings of the 2023 air pollution study that was published in the journal Environmental Health? Our, our key findings were that <clears throat> exposure to air pollution during the prenatal period, particularly the mid to late prenatal period, uh, was associated with negative outcomes um, on the Bailey 3 scale of infant and toddler development and kids at two years of age. Um, so really just suggesting that um, there might be some health consequence uh, and, and consequence to brain development in infants when exposed to air pollution even before they were born. And can you tell me a little bit about, like, how much lower was that and after how much exposure to pollution? Um, we, we saw, <clears throat> we saw um, finding the, sorry, <laughs> get, get a little wrapped up. Um, what we would see is that if exposure were estimated to have been um, increased from the 25th to the um, 75th percentile of exposure, uh, you would have encountered a, a notable difference of between six and eight points in some, some various cognitive measures. 
And where were the sources of air pollution coming from? How defined did you have them? The air pollution sources were measured um, from ambient air stations. So this would have included all measures of pollution um, near roadway, particulate matter smaller than 10 and 2.5 microns in diameter, nitrous oxides. Um, And these were measured by um, air stations kind of throughout the Southern California area. And did these findings surprise you or were they more or less what you had expected? I've spent my life growing up in an, in an area where research has been kind of continually coming out, suggesting that the consequences of environmental pollution are real and tangible on our health. And so personally, this, this kind of went right along with what made sense to me. And Tanya Alderetti, I want to ask you, um, did anything in particular jump out to you? And was this very consistent with other findings? Yeah, so a lot of our work has looked at the adverse health impacts of air pollution exposure. We found that greater exposure to air pollution is linked with faster rates of infant growth in early life, which is linked with risk for childhood obesity. We've also found that greater exposure to air pollution in early life is linked with gut microbiome profiles that might increase future risk for obesity. So combined with those two studies, as well as what's been shown in the literature, just the whole host of adverse health effects that air pollution has, I wasn't surprised by these results. I will say, though, what is concerning is that we're seeing these associations really early in life. So during the pregnancy period, as Zach mentioned, the mid to late pregnancy period, these exposures at this time point, we could see associations two years down the line with lower neurodevelopmental scores. So that was something that wasn't surprising is concerning. You mean when they were tested at age two, you saw these results. And any evidence that longer term health impacts would be sustained like well into adulthood yeah and this is something so the bailey scale is a wonderful measure in early life neurodevelopmental outcomes there's conflicting information regarding how bailey scales translate to Mm. later neurodevelopmental outcomes such as iq so there are studies looking at different measures with air pollution later in life that find similar associations but in this particular cohort I'm excited to say that we're now following these children to six years of age where we're going to perform additional neurodevelopmental assessments and neuroimaging to see if these associations persist. And Tanya, I know, um, well, could you say a little more about this cohort? Because you drew from data. This is not working with actual individual women and babies, right? So this is individual women and babies, but they're from Southern California. It's a cohort of Latino mother-infant pairs from the Mother's Milk Study. What we did is we collected detailed information from them at clinical visits at 1, 6, 12, 18, and 24 months of age. So these participants were highly committed to our research study and allowed us to, to look at these really important research questions in a longitudinal fashion. And the Mother's Milk Study started when? That's a longitudinal study, right? Yes, it's a longitudinal study that started around 2014 to 2015. So it's drawing from that batch of sort of raw data. Exactly. And we're still following these women and their children now at the time and when they're turning six years of age actively. We're bringing them in for clinical visits in Southern California and doing a whole host of cognitive assessments, imaging of body composition and dietary assessment as well as as well as since we have residential address histories, we're going to be continuing to look at adverse environmental exposures such as air pollution. This cohort, again, we're also looking at a whole host of 
environmental exposure. So beyond air pollution, we're also looking at persistent chemicals in breast milk, mm. specifically poly and perfluoral alkyl substances, or PFOS for short. These chemicals are resistant to degradation, and I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of these chemicals in the news, and they last a long time. And concerningly, they can be transferred from breast milk to the infants in early life. Yeah, and we want to dive into some of the other work that you just alluded to with the PFAS and microplastics. But I want to ask you first, so from the study on the Latino women and babies in Southern California, what, if anything, can you extrapolate from those outcomes to the general population or to other populations? Or are you kind of assuming biologically, physiologically, it would be the same? Or there's socio and socioeconomic factors? Thank you so much for answering that question. In research, whenever we have a really homogeneous population, we do want to caution people that the results might not be generalizable to other groups. But as you mentioned, I would 100% agree that the underlying biological mechanisms, when we're looking at air pollution exposure and adverse neurodevelopmental outcomes or other chemical exposures and how it impacts health, there's no reason to think that the biological mechanisms would be different. I think it's very important to study these groups, such as Latinos and Hispanics or other communities with lower socioeconomic status, because we know they're disproportionately impacted by many adverse environmental exposures. So that's specifically why we're interested in studying this cohort of Latino mother-infant pairs. Mm. And Tanya, off the back of that, um, pregnant women are often left off of disaster planning that's related to climate change, and especially women from those disadvantaged groups that you're talking about. We know that some U.S. bodies, including the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, have recognized climate change as an urgent women's health issue, but a lot of government bodies aren't putting them at the forefront of emergency prepared frameworks. Um, and just to follow even up on that, um, before COP this year, the WHO said the effects of climate events on maternal and child health had been neglected, underreported, and underestimated. And they even had a November report that said that very few countries' climate change response plans mentioned maternal or child health, describing it as a, quote, glaring omission emblematic of the inadequate attention to the needs of women, newborns, and children in the climate change discourse. What's your take on that? Why the oversight? I would, I would completely agree with those statements, and thank you so much for bringing that up. I, I think just historically, women and children have been underrepresented in many of the biomedical research studies, at least those that I've looked at when we were conducting these investigations as reference. But there is growing awareness, as you just said, that women and children are sensitive to some of these adverse environmental exposures, and these exposures are expected to get worse with climate change. So there are many investigators now, and this is being supported by the National Institute of Health. There are various sites across the country where they're specifically focusing on women and child's health in these sensitive developmental windows. So we're just one of many groups in the U.S., and internationally that are starting to recognize this as a very important topic. And I think the more evidence we can produce with our scientific investigations that this is a sensitive developmental window and women and children are susceptible to adverse environmental exposures, I think that's going to help with some of the issues that you just raised. And you were talking about the new research that you are working on uh, around breast milk and the environmental exposure, uh, the toxins um, effect on breast milk. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing with that work and how you're going forward with it? 
Sure. So as you alluded to, we have many ongoing investigations, some of which haven't been published yet. Some of our work so far that we're working on, one, one paper in particular is looking at how air pollution is related with certain factors in breast milk called human milk oligosaccharides or HMOs. These are factors found in human milk that are very beneficial to a developing infant and the microbiome. And what we're seeing is that greater exposure to air pollution is linked with different profiles of these HMOs. At the same time, we're also looking at PFAS, as I mentioned earlier, and some of our preliminary work is suggesting that these chemicals in breast milk are related to metabolites or factors within the breast milk that we think could be important for infant growth and development. So this is just adding to a body of literature that environmental chemicals might impact the quality of breast, breast milk. And we know breast milk is really important to infant growth and development. And in fact, we've also shown that breastfeeding, even partially alongside formula feeding, can impact the infant fecal metabolome and, and positively influence brain development. So the fact that these environmental exposures might adversely be impacting breast milk is really concerning for many infant health outcomes later in life. And Tanya Alderetti, I wanted to ask, so have some of the studies been done directly on babies looking at you know, how that effect on the breast milk actually is affecting them? Yeah, that's a great question. We just received funding from NIH to conduct the first longitudinal study to look at how breast milk PFAS can impact infant growth trajectories in the developing microbiome in the first two years of life. The study is ongoing, so we don't have any information to share at this time, but I hope that when we do, we'll be able to be invited back to the show and share it with you. And we'll link to that. Are you at the stage of recruiting subjects, a cohort now? Actually, there is a study we're looking, I'm, I'm sure your listeners have also heard about the growing concern of human exposure to micro and nanoplastics. We're looking at this in breast milk and how this impacts infant growth and development as well. So in order to get larger NIH funding, we're conducting a pilot study at the University of Colorado Boulder. We're recruiting 10 mothers and babies from Boulder and 10 from Denver to examine the microplastics in the breast milk and how this might in relate to infant growth and development. And if anybody's interested in participating in the study, I would invite them to go to our website, which is eclipselab.science, and just submit the contact form and we'd reach out to you and see if you qualify. And we'll link to that, like I said. Um, so this is a very tiny study. Is it basically like a proof of concept so that you can prove to NIH later that this justifies a larger study? Absolutely. There is there is a lot of evidence in the literature showing that micro nanoplastics are observed in breast milk, placenta, human blood, stool, but we haven't shown it here in Colorado, specifically with the populations we're interested in studying. So while there is evidence in the literature, we need to show that we can actually recruit people here in Colorado, detect these micro nanoplastics, and as you said, do a larger study to really look at this longitudinally. And based on what you and others have found and are studying about the impacts of the forever chemicals, microplastics, air pollution on breast milk. Is there anything that suggests that in some cases, women should not breastfeed? Yeah, thank you so much for answering this question. I would say one of the frustrating things 
for me when I look at the literature and also the recommendation and guidelines is that we don't have any right now because this is still an emerging area of concern. Mm. And what what we're seeing is that breastfeeding is beneficial. And so we don't want any woman to feel like they shouldn't breastfeed. But we do need to be conducting this type of research so that in the future, women might be able to go into their general doctor or OBGYN, get some of their breast milk tested, screen it for some of these chemicals of concern, and then we might be able to advise the women how to move forward. But I do want to highlight that formula, as well as our water that we get out of the tap, can have PFAS in it as well and microplastics. So it's not that not breastfeeding and doing something else is going to completely eliminate exposures. So I want everyone to understand that breastfeeding is still beneficial and you should do it as much as you can. But we're just trying to get more information so that women can be informed and make their own decisions for themselves and their family. And Tanya, we know that you're, you've been studying uh, one particular group of women, but as you just said, uh, this could affect everyone from every background, every area. These forever chemicals don't have any geographic boundaries. So is that a reason that everyone should really care about this issue? Yes, absolutely. And actually, Zach, do you want to speak to this? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, in, in the paper that we published, we actually cited data from the World Health Organization in 2021 that suggested that over 90% of people globally are exposed to levels of air pollution that exceed the recommendations. Um, so this is something that affects everybody everywhere. Um, it's pretty unavoidable. You know, we know that certain communities might be affected more than others just based on their specific geographic locations and relation to factories and roadways and things that would release high numbers of chemicals. But um, even still, you know, our, our atmosphere is shared between all of us. And this is something that's really wide reaching. And and even following up on that, Zach, um, you might also be familiar with that 2017 study from the Stockholm Environment in- Institute at the University of York, which also found that nearly 3 million babies are born prematurely each year because of air pollution. Um, so again, that's, we they saw that there was 18% of all annual preterm births linked to exposure to particulate, particulate matter pollution, and the largest being from South and south asia and east asia i am again that that we share all of these board we share all of this air together i'm but that this is a global problem that we should all be uh considering and concerned about right yeah absolutely i'm not actually familiar with the study specifically but i yeah it doesn't doesn't totally take me by surprise but something really nice about the community that's studying all these air pollutants is that they're really wide-reaching. You know, um, in the sources that we cited for our paper were universities from all across Europe, Central and South South America, and East Asia as well. So um, the community studying this is really widespread. Interesting. And Kara Fox, I want to turn to you, given all the research and reporting that you've been doing on women and climate change and air pollution as... Zach and Tanya have alluded, I mean, even though these specific studies are focused on women and and babies and breast milk, what do you see as the role climate change is playing already? I mean, on these populations and obviously the broader population to not get super broad, but I mean, from what you're seeing. Sure. I mean, we know that pregnancy carries an inherent health risk. But what I'm looking at is specifically how climate change and its related hazards are creating new risks for pregnant people and their babies. And of course, how it's worsening risk that are already there. Um, You know, on the back of lots of other air pollution studies, um, again, just to keep in the air pollution theme, we saw a study from Stanford University uh, that found as many as 7,000 babies were born prematurely in California as a result of wildfire smoke exposure between Mm. 
2007 and 2012, which I'm, you know, again, being in a uh, wildlife prone area here and smoke exposure area here in Colorado, uh, that's something to be mindful of. Um, We also saw a really interesting study. It's a bit older, but uh, worth mentioning that there was a study from Beijing, which is one of the world's worst cities for air pollution, uh, that found that during the 2008 Olympics, there was a two month span where the city was mandated to lower emissions and improve their air quality. And the women that were studied during that time that delivered their babies were actually um, almost an ounce heavier compared with pregnant women in the same uh, time frame the year before. What makes them heavier? Well, they're not sure... They're not sure exactly if this was uh, necessarily connected Mm -hmm. completely to the effects of air pollution, but it was a compelling study that draws some interesting connections between when the air air quality was better uh, compared to when the air quality was worse a year before. Um, So it was was an interesting study to uh, further research on. But we also know that this isn't just about air pollution. Mm. Um, Climate-related hazards, including heat and flooding, have been linked to certain health problems, too, like anemia, uh, eclampsia, low birth weight, preterm birth, and also miscarriage. So as we see the earth heating up more, extreme Mm. heat events are going to last longer and become more frequent. So we need to watch out for um, our pregnant populations. Uh, Heat exposure in pregnant women has been associated with all these things that we're talking about, infant mortality being the worst of it. Um, But also we see this happening with flooding and droughts. Flooding and droughts, which are related to climate change, are threatening food quality production. And that can be life-threatening and increase the risk of miscarriage, stillbirth, and premature delivery as well. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about those extreme weather events as well. when there's an extreme weather event that happens, um, the fallout of that is that pregnant people need reliable access to transportation and medical care. So this is all encompassing. If people can't just get their reliable medical care as a baseline, um, we're in trouble. I'm just thinking right now in Gaza, hearing all these absolutely heartbreaking reports of women delivering or not delivering because they don't have doctors infrastructure safe yeah yeah that's just another fallout from it um tanya or (laughs) and or zach morgan i wanted to ask so do you see much being done on the policy front that is leading to some improvements i know you're saying you know more research is being done it sounds like there's more nih funding or maybe there are more proposals for nih funding on say the effects of air pollution on women and babies but are you are you seeing any models out there or signs of improvement yeah thanks for that question i also wanted to just quickly say how much these these studies that were just mentioned are so powerful these natural experiments where you get improvements in air quality and then you see a change in health outcomes and so with air pollution exposure what we what we observe is that higher exposure during pregnancy can result in in utero growth restriction, which is why you get that lower birth weight, which is when we saw these improvements in air quality with the restrictions that were in place, we then saw women give birth to babies that were a little heavier because the growth restriction was no longer occurring. So I just want to say that these studies are very powerful, showing that that changes can actually result in real impacts on women's health and children's health. So I just wanted to, to mention that really quick because I think that's powerful. But but what, what our work really highlights is that the, there's adverse impacts of environmental exposures on human health and that this is disproportionately impacting certain communities. And so what we hope is that our findings spark a meaningful dialogue among policymakers policy leading to tangible actions that can protect the health of everyone 
especially women and children. So we really hope that our, our work just informs people and gets people talking about what the environment can do to our health and that people will correspondingly vote and use their voice to advocate for change. One of the biggest things we see is related to affordable housing and where schools are built. Sometimes these are placed in areas that are cheaper to build, which often means that they're placed next to busy roadways. And so it'd be great to see affordable housing built in areas that have healthier environments, as well as our schools. Really interesting points. Um, Zach Morgan, I want to ask you, as one who's in the throes of applying to med school, (laughs) do you have... Much hope or sort of do aspirations for some of this being infused more into medical schools? Uh, I'd be delighted to <laughs> see the topic of environmental health take a bigger role in, in the discussions of medicine. Um, that said, it's it's still early and it's still hard to draw direct parallels between things in a way that you know you might be able to talk to your primary care doctor about um, doing something to improve your health with. So it's it's tricky, but uh, yeah, I'd certainly I'd certainly love to see it. I'd be excited to do some research, continuing to do that as I proceed through school. And Kara, and are just you? To, oh, sorry. Go go ahead, Tanya. Oh, oh sorry. I was going to say just to piggyback on that, it would be amazing if you had someone coming in with respiratory issues and a physician could speak to improving air quality in the home, Mm. things that people can control that are directly related to some condition that's being treated, I think that would be the ideal situation. And as you mentioned, this starts with med school curriculum and informing future doctors about how the environment can play a role in human health. Absolutely. And um, Kara Fox, anything you want to add sort of on the policy front or seeing any signs of progress? Well, it's um, it's great to see that, for example, UN Women released a new document, the first of its kind, uh, calling for uh, a framework for action, uh, establishing a framework for action around feminist climate justice. Um, just in the last few months, um, of course, some of these big lofty papers are, are kind of buried under the, um, under the, um, they're buried sometimes, but this is a good one to have a look at, uh, just 64 pages of um, where we can look at some of these inequities and really tangible ways of involving um, feminist uh, frameworks to all climate change uh, framework. And we'll definitely on that note, you and I will do more. I think we're going to be doing a series on these topics. So thank you. Well, that was Tanya. Thank you very much to Tanya and to Zach. That was Dr. Tanya Alderetti, an assistant professor of integrative physiology at CU Boulder, and Zach Morgan, a recent master's student at CU Boulder in integrative physiology. Thanks so much, Tanya and Zach. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And thanks to my co-host and guest, journalist Kara Fox. Stay tuned for future shows we'll have on related topics. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced by both Susan Moran and me, Kara Fox, and it was engineered by Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Clifford Lamb. Visit our website on howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can also subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and X. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran. And I'm Kara Fox.